The uh, scripture reading for today is Psalm 96. <clears throat> oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all other gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are in him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come to his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the Lord is established. It shall never be moved. He, shall, he will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. That's right, you say the word of God for the people of God here. I remember that from last time. <laughs> Praise be to God. <clears throat> well, good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be here again, and it's been a little while. Uh, this, the title of the sermon is God's Singing Trees, how they got laryngitis, a medical mystery with a theologic cure. That's a terrible title. <laughs> and I wrote it, so I have no one to blame it on but me. But uh, I'm here to talk today um, about uh, trees and trees in the Bible. And for most uh, people, this is a new topic. I gave a chapel across the street yesterday. There's 14, 1,500 students. I asked if any had ever had a sermon or a talk on trees in Scripture, and one person raised their hands. So this is a, a new start uh, for most people. Um, and it's kind of interesting because of the three things, living things, mentioned most in Scripture, God, people, and trees are the three things. And we hear about God, and we hear about people, uh, but the trees have uh, gotten lost of late. And it's kind of interesting because if you look at the pattern of trees in Scripture, there's a tree on the first page of the Bible, there's a tree on the first psalm, there's a tree on the first page of the New Testament, and there's a tree on the last page of Scripture. In other words, they're strategically uh, placed. Every major character in Scripture has a tree associated with it. I'll repeat that. Every major character in Scripture has a tree associated with him. The only exception to that would be Joseph, and Scripture says that Joseph is a tree. <clears throat> Every major theologic event in the Bible has a tree marking the spot. The Bible refers to itself in Proverbs 3.18 as a tree of life. The only physical description that we have of Jesus from Isaiah in Isaiah 53, it's a prophecy of what he'll look like, says that he looks like a 
tree. This is even faster than the group across the street. By the way, the answer to everything is tree today. Yeah, very good. <clears throat> so the only thing that Jesus ever harms in his life or his ministry is a and the only thing that can kill Jesus is a it's true. The only thing that can harm Jesus is a tree. I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Uh, for my family, the Bible holds an extraordinarily high place in our, in our faith, and our faith life. I became a Christian in my mid-40s by picking up a Bible and reading it for the first time. And each of my family members, uh, uh, along with becoming a Christian, read through the Bible and accepts it as the inspired word of God. Um, and we don't think that God makes mistakes in Scripture. And so this pattern of trees that goes from one end of the Bible to the other, we believe is God's plan. And that as humans, we may not understand it, we may not appreciate it, uh, but nonetheless, it is God's plan. And therefore, um, it bears looking at, as far as I'm concerned. Um, one of the, by the way, just in here, who's had a sermon on trees? One, two, okay. Um, we're, we're usually starting at ground zero. Um, and, uh, and people probably need to begin to think, well, why are trees in scripture like this? Why do they mark all the important spots and all the important people? One of the things that I think in studying this uh, for a number of years is that God is using trees as a kind of a shorthand, if you will. Now, you and I are literate in movies. Is there anybody here who hasn't been to a movie? Yeah, everybody's been to a movie. Um, and, and so we understand the shorthand of movies, and we don't have to have it explained to us. And we just sort of internalize that, and we take it for granted. But you know, a director can evoke an emotion, tell you what's going on off screen without even moving the camera. How do they do that? Well, in movies, they use music, okay? So if there's a boy and a girl, a man and a woman, and they've been kind of arguing and not getting along, and all of a sudden you hear violins begin to play softly, what are the odds that they're going to be making a date really soon? Pretty high, right? And now, now suppose that it's night outside and you go inside a house and, and uh, there's a woman like making uh, carrots or something and it's, and it's all quiet and everything and violins start playing on the E string really high. Is it time to go take a shower? Good time to check out that noise in the basement? I think not. Similarly, suppose that there's a, a bucolic scene at the beach and little Billy and Susie are getting their water wings on and a bass violin begins to bow very slowly. Dun -dun, dun -dun. Is it time to get in the water? No, of course not. I believe that one of the things that, that God was doing with the trees is kind of giving us a heads up that something is going on there. Um, and it's interesting that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to, as I go forward to think, what are the consequences of not having trees in our theology? What's the consequence of subtracting the third most mentioned thing in the Bible that's alive 
other than people and God. What happens when you subtract trees from your theology? This is the first three chapters of the Bible. It's exquisite. It's beautiful. You can get lost in these chapters. There are people who have made a life of just studying these and, and uh, the book of Genesis because they're so exquisite and they say so much and they pack such a punch. And I want you to, to consider subtracting trees. I want to, to highlight every sentence in the first three chapters of the Bible that has a tree in it and to consider what it means to redact this much from Scripture. That's what we're subtracting from our theology. It's one-third of the opening of the Bible is about trees. And... um, I'm just going to kind of go over uh, kind of briefly, but you know, even from just a secular point of view or whatever, trees are so important to humans. Your life is impossible without trees. I promise you that within the next hour, you're going to touch, eat, walk on under something made out of a tree. We exploit trees for the magnificent qualities that they have. We have grown up with them as humans. Uh, and and they're and they're not old-fashioned. Believe it or not, we have nuclear submarines in the force today, brand new ones. And the main bearings in nuclear submarines are made from what? Trees, uh, ligand vitae. It's the hardest wood on the planet. There are water mains in New York that have been in place over a century, that are still functioning just fine. That are made out of trees, water mains in New York. Um, It's just impossible to live without uh, trees. Um, So just from a secular point of view, not even a spiritual one, they're they're very important. Um, Let's look at just just briefly um, what the Bible in these first few chapters assigns to trees. What importance does God give them? And the Bible says um, it, there's two creation stories, and I always hear these different things, and one story's from close up and one's from 30,000 feet. I like to think that the big difference between the two creation stories is there's no fall in the first one, which is pretty important. I'd rather live in that one. Um, but as you come down to the closer level in, 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 uh, in, the, in the second creation story, um, God only... Um, he only makes two things with his hands. He, uh, he makes man, and he blows the breath of life in his nostrils, and then he pivots and he plants trees. Those are the two things. And the Bible, I think if you'll go and you'll reread, for those of you who are biology literate or majors or whatever, there's a kind of a back and forth of he makes trees and ones with seeds and fruits, and it kind of almost seems a little redundant. That is the classification of angiosperms and genosperms. It's still used in biology class today. That is the way it, it is. That's the way we uh, scientists look at trees. We know that photosynthesis happened in trees. The Bible says that everything that has the breath of life or creeps or crawls um, is given uh, trees as their food. The reality is that's absolutely true. There isn't anything that moves on this planet that doesn't get its calories um, ultimately 
from photosynthesis. It's the way the planet runs, and I think it's right there in poetry at the beginning of Genesis. It, another thing that's interesting to me is there's really a shared design at work here. And God, I say, he only touches two things. He forms man and he pivots and he plants the garden. And that's something that the human race never knew existed until about 100 years ago. Do you know what kind of tree that is? It's called a human respiratory tree. That is uh, reversed uh, uh, black and white from a, a, a human bronchogram. Um, Great artists tend to use the same design over and over again when it's absolutely perfect. Uh, and our lung is, is in um, inverse exactly what a tree is. It's negative space, tree is positive, it breathes in oxygen, gives out CO2, tree uh, does the opposite. Uh, so we have, uh, we have where the calories come, we have uh, shared design, and then it says that God placed man in the garden. Our original place to be was underneath trees. Um, the Bible says that, um, that, that God makes all these trees that are pleasant to the sight. That is a one-off line in scripture. It is the only aesthetic that God assigns to a formed thing. And it continues throughout scripture. If God is going to give designs for the tabernacle, everything is going to resemble a tree, right? And the same thing in the temple, etc. Right down to Aaron's, the priest's robes, the little baubles at the end are made out of tree fruit. Um, God is very, very fond of, of this uh, design. <clears throat> and then God puts us in the garden and plants in the center the tree of life. And so that's our connection to the eternal it's our connection to God, who is an eternal being. And then right next to it, God plants the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I, when I first became a Christian, I scratched my head and was like, is this a setup? Um, why good and evil? And it's not a setup. I think the thing probably had uh, red flags you know, around it. Do not eat. You will die. And so, but God in in planting those uh, two, two trees there gives us human agency. We are made in his image. We are not a hothouse plant. We are not a pet. We have the same power as God to decide um, uh, right and wrong, life and death. But you know how the story went. Um, by the way, our work is uh, ascribed to us in Genesis 2.15, that we are to dress and keep the garden. And I like the way the King James translates this because it's dress and keep the garden. We're naked and unashamed. And the first thing that happens uh, when we fall, and the fall is assigned to a tree, is um, that we realize that we are naked and we go and undress the tree. And the fig is the first named tree in the Bible that we can identify and uh, it becomes forever uh, a symbol of separation between God and us. And it wasn't enough, I suppose, for us to have a, a, a bikini made out of fig leaves. We went and ran behind the trees and hid from the Lord too. So that's, that's just the, the opening, the very beginning of uh, scripture and the things that God assigns to trees. 
But I will have to tell you, in investigating all this over the last few years, I think there's a conspiracy going on. And maybe I shouldn't use that word, but something's going on. Somebody, something is subtracting trees, and I want to show you how it's happening. There's been a systematic redaction of trees from everything Christian. Uh, if you take these words, tree, seed, leaf, branch, root, and fruit, none of those words are hard to understand. They're all one syllable. I think everybody gets the meaning of those. Um, and you count them in the King James Bible. And this is not counting the names for trees like cedar, acacia, myrtle, palm, etc., etc. These are just those words associated with tree. Uh, they, those occur about 1,000 times, 967 times in the King James Bible. In the ESV, which I carry and use most of the time, uh, 230 fewer times they're translated. Uh, and you go down until you uh, hit the message, and maybe that's not fair, but it's because it's, uh, it's, it's not really a translation, but a, a paraphrase, but it's 400 fewer times. But you can, you can, you can notice a pattern there. So they've been redacted literally from Scripture. Um, they have been redacted from illustrations in Bibles. And um, these are a number of illustrations from Bibles I have. Uh, I actually have a little bit of a problem buying Bibles. I can quit any time. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is a picture of Abraham's oak. Uh, this is an uh, olive tree. These are all, uh, that's about a 110-year-old photograph. Um, that tree has sort of come back to life. It's in Hebron. Um, another olive. This is uh, illustrations from a Thompson's chain reference Bible, 1940 vintage. And they just chose to illustrate things in an orthodox way as they were um, going through the back. These are two Bibles in my collection. The one on the left is uh, Thomas Nelson King James Study Bible. It's about 130, 40 years old. I don't know exactly when they published it. They didn't put it in there, but it was ascribed to somebody about 110 years ago. Um, and uh, I want to look just briefly at how that Bible treats trees versus the updated, it's the latest edition on the right. So let's turn to uh, the back, the index. The index of the 140-year-old Bible has 20 pages in six-point type on trees and plants. It has multiple full-page plates of trees. The latest version has three entries in the index, and if you pick up like a Moody Study Bible, there are zero. Not even a tree of life is mentioned anymore. Um, Trees have gone missing from sermons, and these are just a list of the titles of Charles Spurgeon's sermons that are, uh, the primary point is trees. Um, they're not even the other sermons that he gave where he comes up on them. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, uh, same type of thing. But you'll find this pattern throughout uh, preaching if you go and pull out uh, the canon of a lot of uh, uh, preachers from 100 years back. You'll find the trees uh, listed there. One of the things that's going to happen, actually, I think, is that Christians, if we keep this up for another 50 or 100 years, they won't even understand Christian fiction. 
It is a pattern in uh, George D. MacDonald's writing and in C.S. Lewis's and J.R.R. Tolkien that people who cut down trees are bad, okay? Tash, bad. Saron, worse, okay? <clears throat> um, and they got their theology not out of thin air, but they got it from Scripture. Tash is modeled on Sennacherib, the uh, Assyrian um, uh, leader, and they bragged about how they were going to clear-cut uh, the trees in, in Israel. Um, I have a difficult task. In the next three minutes, I have to get through the entire Bible. Uh, it's very difficult to do, and I'm going to skip over to Jesus. And in doing that, I'm, I'm not going to be able to explain about tree jokes in the Bible. If you go back and you read chapter 38 of Genesis, a little back in a weird chapter in Genesis between Judah and Tamar, um, it's a tree joke. And uh, a hint to figuring it out is that Tamar means palm tree. Um, you, won't, you won't get Goliath being thrown off his game, not by David's slingshot, but by the staff of leadership that will never depart that's in David's hand. Um, and so I'm going to zip past all of this and all the psalms about trees. And, and by the way, guys, you want to write a love poem to your wife um, go and look at Solomon and uh, tell your wife she's got eyes like apples or something like that. Um, and just go to Jesus. Now, Jesus is a tree guy. Um, and, and there's many interesting things about him. And one of the things about Jesus is the modern, modern portrayal of Jesus is often that he's a wimp. He was a carpenter. And I was a carpenter for seven years before I went to undergraduate school, and most of the carpenters I hung out with were not wimps, okay? And Jesus is not a wimp, and he's really hard to kill. He's really hard to kill, and I think he's somehow restraining himself all the time. Remember when they run up to him uh, to get him in the Garden of Gethsemane at the end, and, they, and he says, uh, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth, and then he says, I am. And he thinks for a second, he forgot to cover his godhood, and down everybody goes. And he has to remind them what they're there for. Hey, guys, guys, what are you here for? Who are you looking for? Um, and he does that. And Jesus is very hard to kill. You can't stab Jesus, can you? He tried it when he was little. You can't stone him. You can't throw him off a cliff. You can't starve him. Forty days without food, and he climbs into the ring with the toughest opponent on the planet, goes three rounds, and walks away. Okay? I don't think there's any point in trying to drown him. <laughs> Just walk away from it. The only thing that can kill Jesus is a tree. But as you look at the life of Jesus in the language, and if you come to the talkback section or lunch, I could get into this a little bit more. There's this exquisitely precise language around trees, and there's this back and forth and joking. And I'll, I'll remind you of, of when he calls Nathaniel, and uh, Nathaniel's friends say, we found the Messiah, the one who the prophets are talking about. And what does Nathaniel say? Can any good thing come out of 
a little twig. That's what Nazareth means, a little sapling. Can anything be good that's a little sapling? And there's this resonance between that and Isaiah 53. And Jesus says, a true son of Israel in whom there is no Jacob, and Nathaniel gets it. He's with the Lord. <clears throat> and he worships. You can, you can tell this. And Jesus says, you think that is something. Before it's over, you're really going to see Jacob's ladder, me, and the connection between heaven and earth. And so I think that one of the dangers in subtracting the trees from our theology is that we're beginning to miss some very important things. They're beginning to make less and less sense to us as time goes by. Um, the last thing I'll leave you with is this thing about hybrids and combinations. Jesus, by the way, is surrounded by trees. He's, he's, he, he goes out of his way to the city of Palms to save somebody out of a sycamore fig. Um, and, and he has palms thrown at him, et cetera, et cetera. Does he ever mention palms? No. Um, Jesus is the anointed one, anointed with olive oil. He's the Christ. His favorite place to hang out is in a grove of olive trees. It is the last place to comfort him on his, his last night um, of freedom. And, and he goes to these olive, this olive grove and he prays. Does he ever mention olive trees? No. There's only one genus of trees that Jesus ever mentions, and there's a reason for that. His language isn't random. It's exquisitely precise. And he's always coming up with these oddball things to try to illustrate who he is and what he's about because Jesus isn't like anybody else, is he? He's 100% human and he's 100% God. He's the lion of Judah and he's the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He's the tree that's evergreen and yet it's on flame, it's a fire. His first I am statement, or God's first I am statement, is by this burning bush. And the last I am statement in Revelation 22 is, I am the root of Jesse. I'm the bright morning star. I'm still the tree, and it's still on fire, and it's not burning. And one of the oddball combinations um, that, you, that happens in the Bible is combining lamb's blood and wood. Now, this is a tree in my house. Uh, this is a door in my house. Uh, I put that door in and the banister and the newel post and everything because the house was built in 1980 and I couldn't stand the trim and I'm a trim carpenter. So I put that in so that's me showing off how good a carpenter I am. But you remember in the Passover that when you take the, the, the Passover lamb's blood and you smear it on the pillar and the post and the lintel of the door, it locks that door and the angel of death cannot get through it no matter what. And when you take lamb's blood and you put it on this door, it opens. It doesn't look like a door, does it? But it is. That's the door to heaven. And with that lamb's blood on it, we're healed. And Jesus on that is absorbing the thorns that, that plagued the ground in Genesis 3. That's the curse. The reason that Jesus can only be killed by a tree is 
that he who dies on a tree is cursed, not he who is stabbed, stoned, drowned, starved, or burned. And so I'll leave you with that. It's a teaser. But what's important in the Bible? Trees. Okay. Um, I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, this psalm that I read uh, talks about your beauty and your justice, the fact that all of our gods are just made-up idols. You're the real deal. You made the heavens. You made the earth. You made the sea. And you made trees, and you called them trees of life. You don't have a bad metaphor. You don't wash as clean as mud. A tree gives life at every level. And that cross is the tree that gives us eternal life. You said in that uh, psalm that the, tr- that the trees shout for joy when you come to judge the earth. They get their day in court, and they know how the verdict's going down. Please don't judge us by what we've done to this planet or to these trees. Um, God, when you look at us, see that doorway to heaven with the Lamb's blood on it. In Jesus' name, amen.